This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, this is a poem written from a little girl. Um, it's called Daddy's Poem. So the reason I'm reading you this poem is because I feel that tomorrow's July 4th, which is Independence Day, which is a very big day for the Jews. I read the stories. I don't know what is, what isn't, that, that a lot of the, the first settlers in America were Jews that were running away from England and running away from, from actually religious persecution. So um, we have to show our cards So the, the poem goes like this. Take your tissues out. Her hair was up in a ponytail, her favorite dress tied with a bow. Today was Daddy's Day at school, and she couldn't wait to go. Good. But her mommy tried to tell her that, pro- that probably she should stay home while the kids might not understand if she went to school alone. But she was not afraid. She knew just what to say, what to tell her classmates of why he wasn't there today. But still her mother worried for her to face this day alone, and that was why once again she tried to keep her daughter home. But the little girl went to school eager to tell them all about a dad she never sees, a dad who never calls. There were daddies along the wall in the back for everyone to meet, children squirming impatiently anxious in their seat. One by one the teacher called a student from the class to introduce their daddy as seconds slowly passed. At last the teacher called her name, every child turned to steer. Each of them was searching for a man who wasn't there. Where's her daddy at, she heard a a boy call out. She probably doesn't have one, another student dared to shout. And from somewhere near the back, she heard a daddy say, Looks like another deadbeat dad too busy to waste his day. The words did not offend her as she smiled up at her mom and looked back at her teacher who told her to go on. And with her hands behind her back, slowly she began to speak and out from the mouth of a child came words incredibly unique. My daddy couldn't be here because he lives so far away, but I know he wishes he could be since this is such a special day. And though you cannot meet him, I wanted you to know all about my daddy and how much he loves me so. He loved to tell me stories. He taught me, he taught me to ride my bike. He surprised me with pink roses and taught me to fly a kite. We used to share fudge sundaes and ice cream in a cone. And though you cannot see him, I'm not standing here alone. Because my daddy's always with me, even though we are apart. I know because he told me he'll never, he'll, he'll forever be in my heart. With that, her little hand reached up to lay and lay across her chest, feeling her own heartbeat beneath her favorite dress. And from somewhere there in the crowd of dads, her mother stood in tears, proudly watching her daughter who was wise beyond her years. For she stood up for the love of, of a man not in her life, doing what was best for her, doing what was right. And when she dropped her hand back down, staring straight into the crowd, she finished with a voice so soft, but its message clear and loud. I love my daddy, my daddy very much. He's my shining star. And if he could, he'd be here, but heaven's just too far. You see, he's an American soldier and died just this past year when a roadside bomb hit his convoy and, and taught Americans to fear. But sometimes when I close my eyes, it's like he never went away. And then she closed her eyes and saw him there that day. And to her mother's amazement, she witnessed with surprise a room full of daddies and children all starting to close their eyes. Who knows what they saw before them? Who knows what they felt inside? Perhaps for merely a second they saw him at her side. I know you're with me, Daddy, to the silence she called out. And what happened next made believers of those once filled with doubt. No one in that room could explain if each of their eyes had been closed. But there on the desk beside her, was a long stem pink rose. And a child was blessed, if only for a moment, by the love of her shining star and given the gift of believing that heaven is never too far. 
They say it takes a minute to find a special person, an hour to appreciate them, a day to love them, but then an entire life to forget them. Send this to the people you'll never forget. It's a short message to let them know that you'll never forget them. If you don't send it to anyone, it means you're in a hurry (laughs) and that you've forgotten your friends. Take the time to live and love until eternity. God bless. There must be many children in the same boat of this little girl. Thanks to our servicemen and their families for the sacrifice they are making to keep our country free. Pretty heavy poem. All right, a curse of A lot of. I don't know, Koyako's not. Okay. So that's our curse of to all the soldiers, American soldiers that, that um, passed away defending this country. And there are many Jewish soldiers besides that, that died. And uh, even in the last few Afghanistan war and all these other wars, a lot of Jewish kids that, are, that happen to be in the army. Okay. Let's get to this week's parasha. So. Um, before we get to this week's parish, I had a very interesting week. And um, I like to talk about things that happened during the week. So, something that I've never spoken, that I, I, I'm going to tell you stories or, or parables that I've never said before. And it's this chutz in, you know, because Hashem puts sometimes the right things in my mouth to say. And the chutz of the people that I say it to. It's not my chutz, I'm just the conduit. I'm the, the gutter that the water runs through. And God lets some water stay in the gutter, that's it. So anyway, um, I met a girl this week from a from family, really nice kid. Um, went through the system, from system, went to seminary in Israel, and um, she came to talk to me. And I said, "So, how can I help you?" She said, "I don't want this anymore. I'm done. I don't want to be religious. I'm done." I'm like, huh? From family, from school, from seminary? Just got back from Israel? You're supposed to be flying? You're supposed to be on fire? And you're telling me you don't want this anymore? Why don't you want it anymore? So I, I said, you know what? Before you tell me why you don't want it anymore, tell me what you don't want. In other words, you're telling me you don't want to be religious anymore. What does that mean? So when I understand what you don't want, then we can talk about it. But what does religious mean to you? What does it mean? You know, I'm like, no, no. Everybody in this room has a different meaning in their head of what religious means. Shem Shabbos, your skirt's way below your knee, three inches, two inches. Everyone has their own ideas of what, you know, what, what, what religious means. So I need to understand what, what does religious mean. So we've been talking about this for a very long time, and I'm still talking about it. And people keep telling me, you got to do something about it. I can't, I can't change the world. But, but I can talk about it, and then people, people can change. So, I have this from kid sitting in front of me who, 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 who's from a good family. There's no abuse. There's no crazy stuff. There's a regular person. There's no, you know, oh, she got thrown out of school. Top kid in school. From girl. Miss Yaakov school. Good kid in a, in a very good seminary in Israel. There's no, you know, well, you know, she's, uh, you know. No. So, so I'm, I'm talking to a regular kid here. And she's telling me after Eretz Yisrael, I don't want this anymore. So, so that's, that's pretty serious. Because if she's saying it, that means there are other kids saying it. Because it's not just one person coming back with one idea. So I said, so, so what's, what's religious mean? So she said, you know what? I can't take all these rules. Okay. I'm like, 
Like what rules? Yeah, I, it's just it's just too much. So I don't I don't I just I don't want to do any of it anymore. I'm just I just I'm like I'm done. So I said, "What's Judaism?" I mean, we've had this discussion. I said, "You're coming back from seminary. You have high school. You have elementary school. You're based on girl. You had all the greatest teachers in Israel and speeches and teachers and I don't want to say the name of the seminary. Top, top, top. Right? So, what's bothering you? Like what? What? She says, "I just, I just, it just, it just. Everything is not good enough. You have to be more machmir. I, I, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't live with all these, with all these rules." So I said, "But Judaism is not rules." She said, "What are you talking about? Judaism has six hundred thirteen rules, and then there are banan rules, and then the latest rules that people are coming. And there's a lot of rules." I said, "I'm going to answer you in a very interesting marshal, not a marshal." So. I took my daughter, she's 16, and what happens when a girl is 16 in New York? Gotta have a permit. You don't, even if you don't have a car, it doesn't make a difference. Gotta have a permit. You're 16, you can get a permit. We're gonna go to the DMV on Coney Island, wait online for 400 hours. Number E17, you go to that one, then E17 goes to that one. They make sure that they aggravate you and keep you there a whole day. It's a mitzvah, it's government, you, you it's my much like, DMV is like, forget about it. But okay, this is your daughter. Your youngest daughter, and she's 16, and she wants to get a permit. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get a permit, and you're going to fail a test. So you got to study the book. Okay, I'm going to study the book. Two days, fine. She studies this book. I looked at this book. Half the stuff we don't do as, as drivers anymore, right? You're slowing down. Put your left hand out. You're signaling with your hand. Have you ever seen me put their hand out of a car in New York City? Are you crazy? You put my hand out? Are you crazy? Uh, you know what I mean? I, I, I hardly use my mirror. I put my hand out. You have all these rules, approaching a stop sign, 300 feet, nobody does that. Slow down, eh? incoming traffic, outcoming traffic. Then you have to learn all the signs, all the signs, right? Railroad crossing, flooding, uh, dump truck. When's the last time you saw one of those signs, right? Dump truck signs. You have to learn all these signs and all these we yield to this and yield to that. And getting on a highway, you have to slowly go from the speed limit of the road that you went off. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, no way it keeps this book, but whatever. You have to, because you get a test, right? You have to pass the test. So... There were all these people taking this test. So, so by the way, Shaifullah, what, what is, what is driving? What is that? What does that mean to you? You want to drive. What does it mean to drive? What's the translation of driving? This is a smart kid. Driving is getting from point A to point B. Take a car and you go from where you're going and sometimes this point C, D, and E, you know, your wife gets stop here, stop the cleaners and this and that and that, right? But you're going from point A to point B, that's what driving is. So I told this girl yesterday, I said, if I took a hundred girls or a hundred guys, it doesn't make a difference. And I asked them, translate driving. There's not one of them that's going to say, okay, yield, stop, red light, green light, yellow light. That's not driving. Driving is getting from point A to point B. So what are these? And they got, count them, they got more than 613 rules in driving. Do you know that? More than the Torah. Nobody has a problem. Nobody ever said, I'm not driving. Why? Too many rules. Nobody ever said that. So one second. Yiddishkeit, being religious, I want to drive. Too many rules. Driving has more rules. No girl ever said, 
That's it. I'm not driving anymore. You gotta step on your brake. You gotta keep the, you gotta keep the speed limit. You gotta put a seatbelt on. You can't use your cell phone. You gotta look in the side mirror and in that mirror. And then you have to know how to drive. Did anyone ever say, no, too many rules. You take the driving test and you fail, and you take the driving test and you fail, and you keep taking that driving test, and you take it in New York and it doesn't work, and you go to Staten Island, and you go to Muncie, you're looking for that one lady that's gonna pass you, you know? That she's 90 years old and she's blind, and you hit the car behind you and she's like, good part, good part, Schaefer, good part, right? So all the girls tell the other girls, you gotta get that, that, that teacher, right? How come, how come, one second, there's just as many rules, but nobody gives up driving because there's so many rules? And how come the translation of driving is not the rules? You get on a plane, JetBlue, you're going to Florida, right? So if you ask somebody, so uh, had a good flight? Yeah, it was great. So um, you like to travel? Yeah, love to travel. So what is traveling, sir? You're telling me you love to travel? What does it mean to travel? Traveling means you go from point A to point B in the most comfortable place you can. You try to go jet blue. It's got a screen. It's got blue potato chips. It's like an amazing place, right? You want to go to the most comfortable plane, the most comfortable thing. But traveling is fantastic if you travel by plane. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You get on a plane, right? Before you even sit down, before they close the door. We can't close the door until everybody's in their seats. Everybody's in their seatbelt. Now listen, uh, she gets up there and the seatbelt you have to put in like this and put it around your body. When the sign says seatbelt and there's no smoking and there's $500 penalty if you smoke in the, in the bathroom and you get 21 days in jail. You don't remember this stuff, right? And the lady gets up there with that light vest with the thing like you're going to f- remember what she says, right? Pull the tabs. If it doesn't fill up, blow it into the red hose. Pull the light on top. Sure, plane's crashing. We'll figure it out. Put it on, pull the tab, blow that. Sure, right? She gets up there, she gives you the whole speech. But if you happen to be in the exit row, it's like, can you, um, lady, can you, and you see these ladies sitting there, right? And they don't want to move because it has extra leg room, right? And they're like, so you know what you have to do if the, in case of a water landing? Yeah, okay. You know, you have to lift it. You have to lift the whole door, turn, pull it out, put it to the side, and help everyone out the plane. Yeah. And all three people are like, Yeah. Sure, God forbid the plane's burning. I'm going to stand there. How are you next? Okay, how are you doing? Yeah, fine, have a good day. Sure, I'm going to be the last guy out of the plane. But I have extra legs. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right, so you have all these crazy rules on this plane. 50 pounds, 52 pounds you can't take on. And, oh, if the thing comes down for the oxygen, put it on yourself first, then put it on your kid, Right. And, by the way, we have a card inside the seat in front of you. If you want to read about all the stuff if we crash, what you have to do, right? And the size of the plane and all the information in front of you. Please read the information. Did you ever ask somebody, so how was your trip? Well, let me tell you the rules. (laughs) What's traveling? Well, let me tell you. Traveling is about an oxygen mask, a seatbelt, right? The, the, The bathroom, this, that, all these. No, of course not. Nobody ever talks about the rules on an airplane. Because that's, that's not what traveling is. Traveling is not the rules on the airplane. The rules on the airplane is that when you travel, you should be safe. But traveling is not the rules on the plane. And driving is not the rules on a car. Driving is to make it safe when you go from point to point B that you don't hurt anybody, you don't hurt yourself. So Judaism, Yiddishkeit, the way it's taught today to us, there's rules. But Judaism is not rules, ladies, and whoever's watching this, and whoever listens to this share. Yiddish guy is not rules. Yiddish guy is getting from point A to point B. 
from when you're born till you die, and after you die, you're on a trip from point A to point B. And Akash Baruch Hu said, to take this trip safely for your soul to be healthy when it comes to the next world, I have 613 rules. So how come when I ask you what's Yiddishkeit, you're telling me the rules? Yiddishkeit's not the rules. Yiddishkeit's life. Getting from point to point B, there happened to be 613 rules. It's not driving or not the rules. So what happened? We lost the point A to point B. We lost that Yiddishkeit is life, and all we have is the rules. You told me that driving, I'm interested. You tell, wow, I'm so excited. I just got my license. What, 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 what does that mean? You told me, well, it's 613 rules. When you come here, you have to stop there, and you have to yield, and you have to slow down, and there's a red light and a green light, and this and that, all these crazy signs and all these rules, and, and, and you can't drink, and you can't, right? And I'm like, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to drive. You forgot to tell me the most important thing. It's to get me from point A to point B. So all you're telling me, rules, rules, and study them, and memorize them, and I'm going to test you on them. So all you see is that permit book. Study the permit book. You're going to get tested on the permit book. That's driving. I don't want it. What do I want it for? Just a bunch of rules that's getting me nowhere. I don't want any part of this. This is what Judaism became today. It became a subject in school. You study and you memorize, which I, I told the Rav yesterday. I said, it's apicarsis, what you're doing to girls. Ho, 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 ho. What does that mean? I'm like, we know from all our svarim, that to remember Torah, Torah has a unique, a unique thing. If you don't do chazara, if you don't go, go over what you learned, you will lose it. And it says you have to chazar it. We all, all the boys in Yeshiva know this. You have to chazar it 101 times to never forget it. Now you tell me, 12th grader, 11th grader, 10th grader, 9th grader in high school, how many times did you chazar Mishlei? After you got your test. Zero. So the Torah tells us that if you don't chazer, you can't hold on to Torah. So what am I teaching it to you for? If you're not chazering, you're not learning over So what are you doing? You're getting a test, so you're studying and you're memorizing your friends. You're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You got a 98, you got your final, your valedictorian, whatever you are. You never open that book again. So how are you going to remember all that knowledge that you learned? So what did you do with your time? The Torah is telling us, if you don't chazer it, you're going to lose it. The Torah tells us that. That's the unique thing about Torah. It's not something you learn by all, and you're going to remember it forever. You have to go over and over and over. So what are we doing? We keep teaching them and testing them and teaching them and testing them. And, and, and they never get a chance to chazer it. So how are they ever going to remember? They're never going to remember where that they learned. The Torah tells us 101 times. What are you doing? So what you're doing is you're taking this, this permit book. And you're telling the girl, I want you to read the permit book, and I want, I'm going to test you on it. You have to know by heart, and you have to, re- you have to write a report on how to back up a car. You have to write a report on getting onto a highway. And, you, and, I, and I don't get to drive? No. That's not what it's about. It's about all these rules. So I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to drive. It's like, it's, it's like teaching you all this, and then teaching you all about a car. I'm going to send you to school, because you can't get into a car until you know all the rules. So you have to learn about a carburetor. Imagine a girl learning about carburetor and engines and mufflers and all these other things. You know everything about the car. And you start, this is what you're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing, by the way. Studying the car, studying the car, studying the car, knowing all parts of the car. And then you get into the car and you got all your stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not putting gas into this car. And you're like, I know all parts of the car. I know how to drive. And you're not giving me any gas to go into the car. Oh, no, that's not what this is about. It's not about getting from point to point A to point B. It's about knowing the knowledge. You need to know the knowledge. So we have a bunch of kids walking around from seminary and high school that know the knowledge, and then they're sitting in front of me and saying, I don't want this anymore.
because they're not getting to drive. They're not living Yiddishkeit. They're not living what they're learning. So they're sitting in the car. They go, yes! So they're coming home miserable, and they're like, I don't, I don't want this. I want to drive. I want to live life. Oh, you want to live life? So if Torah and if Judaism is life, and then we're giving you the rules, fantastic. Very happy. I, I, I'm driving on a highway. I'm going to be safe. Yiddishkeit, I said, I said to this girl, I said, Shayfullah, you, 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 you're totally, you're giving up religion. You're not giving up religion. What you have is not religion. It's a bunch of rules and laws. It's not what Yiddishkeit, Yiddishkeit is life. And Hashem says, listen, just like they, people, human beings, told you how to drive and what you need to do to be safe in driving, and they came up with all these rules. Great, the guy who invented the red light, green light, imagine that, red light, green light, yellow light before they had lights. Well, I'm going first. No, you're going first. What's crashing at the intersection? Because I want to go first. You know, those things, the four stop signs, don't do it in Borough Park. Right? First one to the stop sign has the right to stop and then go. Everybody thinks they got there first. Right? So also, all four are like, uh, I got a four by four and you got a half, a little car. I'm going. Right? So, so they're brilliant. Stop signs they came up with and lights they came up with and, and, and railroad crossings they came up with. It's very, very brilliant to keep you, if you keep all the rules, pretty much alive on the way. Well, Kush Baruch Hu is putting us on a long trip from when we're born till we die. It's a very long trip. And therefore, he put things on that trip in order to keep us safe. So she liked that. But she had a kasha. Okay. But how does putting your right shoe on first keep you safe? <laughs> how does your skirt being below your knee, knees, okay, I can understand a little bit, it'll keep you safe from, from guys looking at you and, and things happening. But there's so many mitzvahs, like, how does, how does linen and wool not being mixed keep you safe? Very well, often, come on. I, she said good, she said, no, she said, the book, if you read it, on, on driving, the permit, it makes sense. In other words, when you approach an intersection to slow down, it makes sense. That'll, that'll save you to wear a seatbelt. That'll save you. When you're on the airplane to, to put a seatbelt on, all those other rules that they have if the plane's crashing up, all this stuff will save you. So, so that all makes sense. But, but Wallstein, you know, lighting candles, like, what does that do? Like, how does that keep me safe? And, and, you know, covering my hair, how does that keep me safe? And, and sneers and, and all, and, and Wayne said, how does that keep you safe? I, the, the permit book I understand. I don't understand. I don't understand how this keeps you safe. So first of all, the, the neshama you don't understand the neshama. So the neshama has a different playbook, rule book than the physical world. So you're living in the physical world, so you understand the seatbelt. But there are seatbelts for the soul, and there are certain things for the soul we don't understand how all these things work. I said, but now you gave me a chance to tell you another story. So I said, I'm going to tell you a story. So this is girl. There's all new stuff. You are here tonight to hear new stuff. So there's this girl. And she says to her father, I want to go to seminary. And he's so close to her. And you know, daddies, we're, we're like very possessive of our girls. And this guy only had one daughter. So he's like, I don't really want her to go. You know, I want her to stay home. But she wants to go so badly. So she's nudging him and nudging him. It's expensive, whatever. He says, okay, I'll make, you, I'll make you a deal. This is the deal. I'll let you go to seminary. I'll pay for everything. But every night before you go to sleep... I want you to light a tea light, a little tea light, for me, and say my name. She's like, Dad, are you sick? Um, are you dying? Did somebody Kubel tell you to do this? Like, what, what is that? He says, I'm not getting into it. I'm going to put it in your suitcase. 
few hundred tea, tea lights. This is what I want you to do. She's like, Mom. Her mother goes, I don't know. I don't know. Sign a paper, you're going to do it. Sign a paper. Sign a paper, you're going to light it every single night. Okay, she signs the paper. She goes, she totally forgets about it. She gets on the plane. She's with her friends. They're having a great time. Everything's fantastic. They come to seminary. She comes to her room. There's three other girls. There's four girls in the room. And she opens her suitcase, and there's 200 tea lights in there, right? And the other girls are like, one's from London, you know, like, I don't know, these Americans, you know. What does she think she's doing, right? Okay, so they're like, okay, she's an American. This is very strange, but, you know, fine. First night, so she takes this little tea light, and she puts it on the desk next to her, and they're watching her. They're not saying anything. They're like, this kid is weird, right? And she lights this candle, and she says, my father... Yehuda, whatever his name is, Yehuda Friedman, whatever. Okay. They're looking at her like, okay, you know, maybe the first night, maybe she's your site. They don't want to, they don't know what's going on over here, right? They don't ask her anything. They see every single night, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Finally, they're like, what's, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why are you lighting candles? And she says, I don't know. I don't know. My father told me that he's only going to let me come to Israel if I light a candle every night in his name. I have no idea why I'm doing this. So like, okay, your father must be like a little sugar, whatever. No, who doesn't? I mean, I hope not. In seminary, like light candles for their father when they're alive. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But okay, it's what a father wants. It's what a father wanted. But there were times like she went to, to like for Shabbos, she went away out of seminary, so she had to pack. She had to always remember because she made a deal. She had to pack her little tea lights, right? And then she had to explain to those people, why are you lighting? I'm lighting. I have you in mind. I'm not lighting for Shabbos. It's not for Shabbos. It's for my father. What's wrong with your father? Is he sick? Is this his yard site? This poor kid went through a year with these tea lights. Don't ask. Okay. She comes back, right? She comes home and she goes up to her father. She says, Dad, I got to talk to you. She says, what was this whole thing with you with this tea light? I mean, my whole school thought I was nuts. My, the, the, the head rabbi of the seminary thinks you're nuts, right? Well, what's the deal? He says, I'll tell you the deal. He said, listen, I know you. And I know that if I would have asked you that when you go to Eretz Yisrael to call me every day or to think of me every day, that you would say, of course, daddy. But then you're in seminary and your trips and all that. You forget about me. It's normal. I know that. You'll call me Erev Shabbos, maybe if I'm lucky. And I respect that. I know how girl, you're a teenage girl and you're going to seminary. You're very excited. I understand that, he says. But I wasn't willing to go for a year without you thinking of me every single day. So I came up with this idea. You're going to light a tea light. You're going to say my name. So what does that mean? That means you got to go get the tea light. Then you gotta throw out last night's tea light. Then you gotta light this tea light. Then you gotta say my name. Then whenever you go away from school, you gotta make sure you pack it. And then you, right? I said, he said, I knew that every single day you were gonna be thinking about me more than one second. So, and that's all I wanted. I wanted that you should think about me every, once a day. And I knew if I didn't do this, you wouldn't think about me. Brilliant. A little cuckoo, but brilliant. <laughs> that's what Hashem wants. That's a, it's the same thing. Because Baruch Hu, we are called Banam Atem Hashem. We are called the children of God. He wants, he knows that you're busy. And you have Shiduchim, and you have to make up Hanasa, and health things. He knows that a human being is not. God created us. He knows that we're very busy. Shem knows that six days you're going to work, and you're going to be very busy. And if he would just say, listen, my children, I want you to think of me, we'd say, for sure. 
And then two days later we'd say, oh my God, I didn't think of him for two days. So what did Kodesh Baruch Hu do? Kodesh Baruch Hu said, I'm, I'm not going to take you out of your day and say, you know, I'm going to, in your day, of your work, of your getting dressed, of your eating, of your waking up, of you, everything that you do, working in a field, if you're a businessman, there's the dinam of ribbis, if you're working in a field, there's the dinam of leket, you're, you're at snua, so you're getting dressed differently because your dress has to be up to your knees or below your knees. So when you put on that dress, you have to think for a second, I'm only doing this because I'm Jewish. Oh, why am I, what's that? That means I'm connected to God. So everything that a person does, a kushbohu, put it into your everyday life. You're eating an apple, you make a bracha. You're eating hamaitzi, you make hamaitzi. You're cutting your nails, you have to burn your nails or, or flush down, or flush the toilet down. You, know, you go to the bathroom, you have to wash your hands. He came up with 613 tea lights. And some of them, we don't understand. Like, she didn't understand. Like, so I said to this girl, putting on your right shoe makes no difference. And wearing shotness makes no difference in the fiber of the world. You're right. So why did he make such a rule? Because when you wear your suit and you have it shotness, you're connected to Hashem. Your tea lights on. And when you put your right shoe on in the morning, your tea lights on. And all six, he has 613 tea lights in any aspect of your life, whatever you're doing, you have to spend a second to make that bracha, whatever it is, you're connected to Hashem. Said, That's what I want. That's what I want. What am I telling Hashem? I love you too much. That's, that's your problem. I, there's no such thing as a parent loving a child too much. I'm giving you six, I'm not telling you to fast 613 days. I'm not telling you to fast Ramadan 40 days in a row. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm telling you to eat or make a bracha. I'm telling you to get dressed. Get just right. I look in the mirror in the morning. I'm like, what is that? What's going on on your face, Wallstein? There's a beard growing. Why is there a beard growing? Because it's the three weeks. And the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. And I'm an Ovel these three weeks. Klai Yisrael is an orphan these three weeks. Because we lost our Beit HaMikdash. And we lost our Shekhinah on this world. So, yeah, not shaving reminds me it's a tea light. It's an extra tea light. Because it's a very emotional thought to say time for God who his children were sent out of Eretz Yisrael and his base Hamigdash's house was destroyed. Have you ever seen Chastashon when someone's house, house is destroyed, that they lost everything, all their memorabilia and everything, even though you put them in a new house, it's like they, because Baruch Hu, this was the base Hashem, base Hamigdash, it's not, it's not like a human being, but this base Hamigdash was destroyed. You know, so people ask me, and I, and I get this every single year, and I don't even know how you listen to this stuff. You know, Rabbi, am I allowed to listen to this, you know, music? What is it called? I always say acapella, but that's a, that's a, that's not what it's called, right? Where, where guys are singing, and they're making all these noises, and, and the Maccabees, and all these, and the whole chevra, and it's like, you know, it's not music, it's not music, Rabbi Wallstein, and I'm like, well, you know, it's not music, you're right, I can't listen to it, it makes me crazy, right? I say, but it's not, it's not music, and, you know, I exercise, and, and I'm on a treadmill, can I listen to my regular music? It's for, medical reasons <laughs> so for medical reasons you're allowed to listen to music right and it calms me down and I'm like hey try my shear you know but you might fall asleep right in the middle of your treadmill but you know all of a sudden medical reasons so, so I tell them and I answer everybody the same thing you halachically halachically during the three weeks you want to listen to guys singing right all that's all those records that they have all the time you want to listen to that 
halachically, you're allowed to listen to that. You want to go on a treadmill and listen to your fast music, halachically, for medical reasons, you're allowed to listen to that. So what I want to ask you a question. If you were going into an Ovel's house who was sitting shiva, right? An Ovel's house was sitting shiva. Would you play that music? Would you walk in with a boombox, right? With the maca beats on! They're sitting on... They're sitting on little boxes on the floor. The clothing is ripped, right? They just lost their father or their mother, right? They're all sitting there, and you're walking in like, the Maccabees are on, or whatever, whatever other acapella, whatever it's called, is on, right? You're walking in there, hey! And they're like, is this guy nuts? Halachically, I didn't do anything wrong. And my boombox, there was no music. Would you even dare to even think of doing that? For sure not. But now, based on Midas was destroyed, millions of Jews slaughtered, read, read Eicha, slaughtered, babies eaten by their own parents, blood was flowing in Yushalayim up to your thighs, dead people all over, but uh, nine days, three weeks, I gotta listen to this bunch of guys singing together. And Hashem's like, what's going on here? Why are you asking Rabbi Wallace this question? So yes, it's very hard, and I love music, and I'm in a lousy mood in the three weeks, because I need music. I usually come before I give my share here, and I'm blowing the windows out full of block away, because I want you to think I'm crazy, right? And I, I, that's my energy. I'm a musician. That's my energy. And during the three weeks, I'm really not in a good place. I, I, I don't have that energy. And yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't, because it's the three weeks. And they broke down Yushalayim, and they broke the Beit Samikdash, and they put a pig on the Mizbeach, and they did other things... And the Kurdish Kedoshim with women. They defiled everything that we stand for. So yeah, Wallerstein, yeah, three weeks you're gonna suffer, no music. And you're not gonna be in such a good mood. God's not in such a good mood either. It's not a good time. It's not a good time. We have to, that's, you see, that's the difference between rules, laws, rules, and life. If Yiddishkeit is life, then during the th- three weeks, I can't be happy. But if Yiddishkeit's rules, yeah! Do you know how many, Hundreds of albums there are now today that, that, that you can listen to in the nine days, in the three weeks, because they don't have music. Hundreds of albums. Maybe more than the regular music. What is that telling Hashem? We got around you. We can still listen to music. Ha So we, we lost the whole, we're, we're busy with the rules. We, we lost the whole flavor of what's going on. So, so in Yiddishkeit is life, so then in the month of Adar, I'm on a high because it's Purim. And, it, and when Yiddishkeit is life, Pesach is amazing. And when Yiddishkeit is life, Shabbos is not a problem. Shabbos is my 26-hour date with God. Get out of my face. I don't want to work. I don't want to answer no phones. I don't want to... This is my life. This is... The seventh day is me and Hashem. But when it's a bunch of rules, who wants to have Shabbos? All these malachas and all this stuff and I can't do this and I can't do that. I can't do this. This is beautiful. It, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing in anything. You, you go to law school, you go to all these laws, all these laws, but you want to become a lawyer. It's not, being a lawyer is not a bunch of rules. Being a lawyer is practicing as a lawyer. Being a Jew is practicing as a person who lives with God together according to his book, his book, his permit book. That is what Yiddishkeit is. And that's why sometimes it doesn't make sense to write a T-Y. All the other, so I said, all the other Goyim in the world, they look at us and say, you guys are nuts with the unleavened bread and you can't have a, a crumb in the house and I don't understand. What do you mean on the Sabbath you can't turn on a light? That's not work. 
You know, and they don't understand. And, and, they, and they're looking at us and they're like, what's wrong with you guys? Like the other girls were looking at this girl in the seminary room. I don't understand. Why are you lighting this candle? Your father, you should remember your father? Call him. Hashem says, no, I, I want you to remember everything that you do. That's not a reason to sit and say, Rabbi, I want to give this up. Who would want to give that up? Who would want to give up a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu on that level? You have to be out of your mind to want to give that up. So what are you looking for? So where are you going? So you're giving that up, so where are you going? You're going to go and go to Burger King and eat, and eat a burger with cheese? So, so we're, that's, so wait, what do you have? So you, you just hit a big pothole and got a flat tire in, in the middle of your road to life. After 120 years, you're going to, you're going to pay for that. So she walked out a different person. She walked out, she said, you know, I, nobody ever talks to us like this. I'm like, get me a job in Israel. I'll go, I'll be there. But this is what Yiddishkeit is. Yiddishkeit is not the book of rules. Yiddishkeit is getting from point A to point B safely, taking your neshama and bringing it to a higher place. Okay. Today, this morning, I had a very, um, I had a discussion. I, I don't want to go into the exact what the discussion was, but this guy went to the dark side. He was doing a various that explained to him. So he wanted to understand what does that, what does that mean? The light side, the dark side, the good, the subtle, the bad, the evil. I said, it's very, very simple. It's a little Kabbalistic, but it's very easy to understand. The, the dark side, the satan, the mazikim, the shadim, that whole group, right, that causes disease in the world and sickness in the world and pain, that whole group has no life. They're dead. They have no life. They are dark. They are choshech. I'm not going to go into the deep, deep, but they are choshech. They are darkness. They have no life. Their life comes from our neshama. Our neshama is the light, and when you do an Avera, they get a bit of that light. And that's what keeps them alive. And that's what gives them their power. That's what gives them their growth. He says, oh, come on, Rabbi. Where'd you get that from? He said, it's very simple. This world that we live in is a mirror the physical world to the spiritual world. Darkness has no power. Light has amazing power. How do you know that? Prove that to me, Rabbi Wallace. I think darkness has power. And they're equal. Darkness has power and light has power. No. There was one darkness that had power that was three days in Mitzrayim. There was a special darkness that Hashem had to create. But regular darkness has not. How can I prove that? Prove it to you very simple. And I did this to him this morning and he... It's very simple. You go into a dark room and you light a candle. The candle, the light of the candle, disperses all the darkness in the room. But darkness has no power to turn off light. So, if I have a teeny little match that's burning, in a room, it's, it's taking a space of an eighth of an inch. An eighth of an inch. I'm in a room of 10,000 square feet. 10,000 square feet of darkness, one eighth of an inch of light. The darkness has no power to put out the light. Fascinating. The light teeny little light disperses the darkness but no matter how much darkness is in the room it has no power to turn off the light in Kabbalah it's the exact same thing darkness has no power to turn off the light darkness has power to take from the light in other words the room is now lit 
So it takes from that light. And that's what gives it its kayach. So a person has to understand that when you do an Avera, a person doesn't have when you do a sin, you are giving your, some of your energy, some of your light to the dark side, which gives it its energy to do what it needs to do in the world. And you couldn't argue the point because we know in the physical world, darkness can't put out the light, but light can put out the darkness. And it's exactly the same thing in the spiritual world. Which leads me to my last story for tonight. What time is it? All right. We got one more story. Anyway, I really want you to take this home. I think it's a very big, I think it's a very big game changer to understand the whole permit discussion that we had and driving in a car and flying in a plane and, and, and definitely to understand and to, and, and, and when you do a mitzvah, that's what you need to think. You need to think. And that's why, by the way, it said that when you do a mitzvah, you should say, I'm doing it with Shem Hashem. Ain't no mavadal, Hashem Hashem. So you, you should, every time you do a mitzvah, instead of it feeling like, oh, another mitzvah and another rule, it's a tea light. Hashem, I'm thinking about you for this second. I, I do a lot of things during the day. I'm studying, I'm working. I can't think about it all the time. But when I do a mitzvah, when I dab a mincha, I'm thinking about you. When I'm getting dressed in the morning, the way I'm getting dressed, I'm thinking about you. All these little things are little tea lights that you light every day to say, God, Tati, I remember you. God was crazy. You should, you should be flying through the sky every time you do a mitzvah. Not saying, well, I want to get out of this. Okay. So the last story goes like this. It's a story in the times of the um, Chassam Seifer. Actually, this, it's written, I think it's written by the Chassam Seifer. Actually, I have two little, one after that. But okay, let's say really, really, really fast. So, so these, there were two boys in yeshiva. And they were, they were both orphans. And they were unbelievable. They, they had lost their fathers. And they were unbelievable in learning and with These two guys, Rechavrusa, were amazing. But every six months, you're allowed to go home. Sukkis and Pesach, you're allowed to go home. So they went home, one Sukkis. And... Um, the, the, it was, was over and it was time to go back to Yeshiva one of them I'm not going back to Yeshiva and the right to Vilna I'm going to Vilna and I want to learn um, I want to go to college university and I want to become a doctor oh, this, the other guy said listen you, we're, we're very young you know let's wait a few years you know we're learning so well why break it now no I'm not interested I want to go okay so this guy takes his suitcase he, he fills it up he goes to Yeshiva the other guy says uh, so he gets he gets to Yeshiva so the rabbi that was there, I think it was Echsam Seifer, says, was Yechavusa. He said he went to the university in Vilna and he wants to become a professor. So the Echsam Seifer, I believe it was him, um, felt very bad that he lost this boy that now he's going to go to go there. Okay. He said, I'll take care of it. That night, this, the student that was going to university um, saw it in a dream he didn't realize it was a dream. And he went to, he went to Vilna, and he went to university. And the professor in the university really liked him. He was a very smart Jewish kid. He really liked him. And he was there for three years. And he learned to become a, he learned to become a doctor. And the professor told everybody, this is the best doctor that we ever had in Vilna, and everybody would go to this doctor. Okay. He became very rich, this kid. He was a doctor. And, the professor would come visit him very often. And one day he visited him. He said, why don't you come to my house? I know you're Jewish, but why don't you come to my house? And we'll talk. So he came to the house, and there was food on the table, which wasn't kosher. And um, he was already three years out of yeshiva. So he started to eat some of this food. And then he told him, by the way, I have a bas I have a, I have a daughter, a very special daughter, this non-Jewish professor told this yeshiva boy. And 
one of the two of you go to theater tonight in Vilna. Guy never went to the theater. Okay, I'll go with her to the theater. He goes to the theater, and the next night he buys him tickets again. He goes to the theater again, and he falls in love with this girl. And they're going to get married. So you have this Jewish kid marrying this non-Jewish girl. We'll call her idol worshiper. And um, they make a big chasana. And all the people, all the non-Jewish people, everybody comes to this chasana. Of course, he doesn't invite anybody because he's marrying a non-Jewish girl. So, he sends a message to his mother after he gets married to please come. And when she comes, she finds out that he's married to a non-Jew. And what could she do? So she says, I am not going to even drink water in your house. I don't want to have anything from this non-Jewish girl that you married. And she moved to the Jewish, to the Jewish quarter. Okay, after a year, he has a baby boy from this, from this girl. And they don't give him a bris milah. And 13 years go by. And it's time, they make him a birthday party. And all the people come, they make this big birthday party. And his mother shows up. At the thirteen, at the birthday party, the Emtza Asu, the boy Ima Haskena, this old lady, the, his mother shows up. Amal Lebanah, Ilu Hayu Yehudi Ayeled. If you would have married a Jew, Hayu Machnisa Yisrael B'Talsim B'Tfilin. Had you would have married a Jew, it would be a bar mitzvah today, or a bar mitzvah B'Tfilin. But no, instead, you have this non-Jewish kid, and therefore I can't bring you anything. So she got very angry at his mother, and they had this whole little little fight. And, she, and he was defending his mother. And of course, she began to, to embarrass him and started talking bad about the Jews. And they said, you killed Yoshka, you killed Yeshu. She started to spit at him. And it was a huge fight. And everybody who, who came to this 13-year-old party left. And she started screaming at her own father, why'd you make me marry a Jew? And I could have married a non-Jew. And now look what I have. And his mother and all the stuff. And she was like, really tough. Okay, that night, the neighbors saw that this guy, the father of this boy, was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, into the garden, back into the house, into the Okay. When the, when the mother woke up, who was in the fight with the father, she saw her son was dead on the bed. So she ran to the police and she said, my husband, him and his mother, they killed, he killed this, he killed my son. So they asked for witnesses, and the people in the neighborhood said, we saw him hiding something, going back and forth. So they brought him to court, and they passed in court. He's a murderer, and he has to be hung. So, two days later, they took him out to hang him. And his mother was walking and crying. And she said, My son, my son. Because you did this, look what you had, look what ended up, look where you ended, you're ending up hanging. So she said, at least now, at the last second, when they put the rope around your neck, scream Shema Yisrael as loud as you can. So they put the, the thing around his neck, and he screams Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekin Hashem Echad, and because he's screaming so loud, he wakes up, and his mother wakes up. And she says, what's going on? And he says, uh, I can't believe this, I had this dream. I, I, and he tells her the whole story. And he says, do me a favor, prepare for me my suitcase, I'm going back to Yeshiva. And he went back to Yeshiva, and, and he's, he's bringing here this whole story to tell us that a, that a, that a, that a Rebbe, that a Rebbe will do anything, and should do, because this week is Pasha's Matos, where it talks about Rashi Matos, that, that us, any, any Rebbe, any teacher, any rabbi, anybody who's the head of a kahol, 
has to do whatever he can to help his people when he's teaching not to fall to the dark side and not to feed them. And of course, marrying a non-Jew is, is, is giving the dark side your whole neshama. So why am I telling you this story? So, I met today with a boy who was dating a non-Jewish girl for a very, very long time. And his parents were broken, and a lot of people were broken. And there was a lot of tefillah and a lot of, lot of, lot of whatever. And this morning he came to tell me that it's over. And that he, he broke away from her. Of course, it's not going to be so easy because it's called klipa. You know what, you know what klipa is? Klipa is when anytime you do an Avera and you step out and you, you do a big Avera and you do it over and over and over, it's called klipa. It's called a peel. Why is it called a peel? Why is it called a peel? Because the only way to get the klipa off an orange is by force. In other words, the, the, the orange inside cannot peel the orange. The banana inside cannot peel the banana. Somebody has to come along and peel the klipa off. So when a person does an Avera, there's a certain tumult, there's a certain klipa on them, and there's taira and there's mitzvahs, but, but a Rebbe or a parent or someone or a friend has the koyach to peel the person himself is in the klipa. It's the orange in the orange peel. He, the orange itself doesn't have the power to peel itself. So we, we know someone that's struggling with things. We have the koyach to daven, to fast, whatever we have to do for that person. We have the koyach to peel and let that neshama free, let that orange go free. That's why it's, that's why it's called klipa. And the closer the klipa, it's very sad and I've seen it happen. The closer the klipa, the more you watch pornography, the more you do things you're not supposed to, the more you fall into the immoral dark side the closer you get to the klipa. So then when you peel the klipa off, some of the fruit goes with it. So an orange, right, the kli- it's very, very thick. So it's easy to peel. You could peel the orange most of the time without hurting the fruit. But if you take a plum and you want to peel the skin of the plum off the plum, then you're going to have some of the fruit come off it. You can't peel a plum or a grape without taking some grape with it. The more a person does an Aveira, the closer the klipa gets to the to the neshama. The closer it gets to the neshama, that even when you peel the klipa, it rips a part of the neshama. So so that's why Avera Guerreras Avera it says in in in, in Pirkeiavos that a person who doesn't Avera, you have to understand if you continuously do the Avera, and and guess what that's called in English it has a word in English and it's very hard to break. It's called addiction. When you do something once, you can turn away and not do it again. If you do something twice, you can turn it. But when you continuously do it, do it, do it, do it, you become an addict, then there's so much work. And guess what? To become out of that addiction, it takes a part of you with it. A part of who you were, you're not anymore. You, you can grow and you can do it, but a part of you, you that, that before that addiction happened, you're a different person. Now, what's the difference? Very simple. If you have a person who's addicted to, to liquor, right? right? So if he did it once, he did it twice, and he stops, then he can have, make a lechayim on Shabbos. And he can go under the chuppah and have, when he gets married, you don't have to give him grape juice. And he can drink wine by the Seder. And he can make Kiddush on wine on Shabbos. Because he is still him. But when he becomes an addict, even when he becomes clean, he can't drink alcohol anymore. He can't make Kiddush on wine. 
He can't drink one drop of wine on Purim because guess what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to start again. So, so I'm not saying that he's a, a bad person. He's a different person. Because part of him, when you peel away the addiction, part of his choice in life he doesn't have anymore. Because if you're going to give him a zip of wine, he's going to go right back to the addiction. Same thing in gambling, same thing in drugs, same thing in pornography. Someone looks at a picture once or twice, it's bad. Whatever goes into your eyes goes into your soul. It's bad. But the people who look at it all the time, they, they, they can't go anywhere. They're not allowed to go anywhere where someone's even dressed not exactly the way they should be because the whole addiction is going to come all back. So a person has to understand that. That, that, that you do that very once or twice, whatever. I'm not telling you it's right. But you can step out of that. We can peel that off. It's an orange peel. You don't have to touch the peel. It's a banana. You can peel that right off and you're back to the same person that you were. But if you do it over and over and over and over and over, it's going to change who you are even when you stop. Because now you can't, now you, now you're, you're, you're an addicted, addictive personality. You're addicted to that thing. Once you're addicted to that thing, you can't have, you, you can't have even what you're allowed to have. A lot of my kiddish. I make kiddish. I don't need to drink more than my kiddish. But if I was as a kid, a drink and a drink and a drink and a drink, and every Shabbat I got drunk, and every wedding I got drunk, then I can't make kiddish on wine. If I make kiddish on wine, my wife's gonna find me Friday morning at six o'clock in the morning, laying in the kitchen, drunk out of my head. What do you mean? You, you, you cleaned up. You haven't drank for six years. doesn't matter. You peeled off my plum, that little thin thing. But some of me went with it. I'm not the same guy I was before. The spiritual world and the physical world are mirrors. So if there's something that you're into, you need to stop it before it changes who you are. In, in this world, they call it addiction. In the Neshama world, they call it klipa. And the klipa... The, the, the closer it gets to the, to the fruit, the harder it is to peel it. If someone told you to peel a plum, you'd look at him and say, are you crazy? You don't peel plums. You peel bananas and you peel oranges. You don't peel plums. Right? And if you peel a potato, what happens? Because the potato skin is so close to the potato, you can't peel a potato without getting some of the potato. You can't peel a cucumber without getting some of the cucumber because it's that close to the cucumber. When a person does an Avera and Avera and Avera, the Klippa is that close to the Neshama. And when you peel it, it's going to get some of the Neshama. So you have to stop before the Klippa becomes part of you. When it's just an outer shell that you could peel off, you have to stop before that happens. So my bracha to everyone here is, that Hashem, you should be Zeicher till 120 to light tea lights. To, to do the mitzvahs of Hashem and to, to go to point, from point A to point B in the safest, most beautiful way that is possible, and that is by being a Jew and keeping Hashem's Torah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.